Hi, Tyler Bowles here. Welcome back to Economics 1500. We're on Chapter 14, Monetary Policy. We're on a good roll here. We're going to be done with this course before we know it. Chapter 14 on uh, is on the Federal Reserve. Uh, we're in that part of the course where we're trying to understand macroeconomic policy. We, we're through with fiscal policy. Now we're trying to understand the role of money in our economy. Chapter 13 was about money itself and how a fractional reserve banking system works. The last piece of the puzzle is the role of the Federal Reserve in controlling the money supply. What we'll find out eventually is the Fed can manipulate the money supply. That's going to affect interest rates and that'll affect aggregate demand. Again, we're trying to connect policy, that is what in this instance what the Federal Reserve does to to aggregate supply, aggregate demand. That's our final goal. The, the, the intermediate information is useful in and of itself. Every educated citizen ought to understand how the Federal Reserve System works and the structure of the Fed, but our ultimate goal is to understand what influence the Fed can have on other economic variables like output, employment, prices. The Fed manipulates the money supply. That affects interest rates and that uh, will affect other variables. Now, remember, the Fed controls the money supply through the banking system. We know from last chapter, if banks have excess reserves, they can lend out those excess reserves. That'll change the money supply. Now we're just going to find out how the Fed provides or takes away excess reserves from the banking system. Well, call up your slides. I'll do the same, and I should have done this uh, before. won't take long here, though. first part of the chapter is just on the structure of the Fed. And in class, I know I, I usually go to the home page of the, of the Federal Reserve, and I suppose you guys could call up that website, too, federalreserve.gov. But you know, there's some nice slides here that kind of cover the, the essential information. But I, yeah, if I were you, I would spend a little time and, and go to the Federal Reserve's website, and lots of information provided there, and interesting information about the Federal Reserve. But as most central as as most nations have done, the United States created an institution to control the money supply. You don't have to have a a an institution to control the money supply. Money will develop and can be provided by private banks. And there are historically the United States were were different currencies provided by different private banks. But given the booms and the busts in our economy in the 19th century, we decided early in the 20th century in the United States that we needed a central bank. A central bank, by definition, is a, an entity that controls the money supply. And again, many nations have adopted and have a central bank. The Bank of England is a, a historical example of a, of a central bank. And you can see here in slide two, what, is a, what does a central bank typically do? A central bank, it acts as a bank's bank. It's going to accept deposits from and make loans to commercial banks. That's how, uh, that's the connecting rod between the Federal Reserve System and the commercial banking system. Banks hold deposits in Federal Reserve Banks, just like you hold deposits in a bank, a checking account, savings account. Banks hold their reserve deposits in Federal Reserve Banks. That is, remember, banks have to hold a certain percent of their deposits as reserves. They'll put those reserves in a Federal Reserve Bank. 
well, when we decided the United States going to slide two, excuse me, going to slide three, that we wanted a central bank. Well, given our historical ampre, ap, uh, apprehension, apprehension concerning the centralization of power, we decided we wanted a bit of a splintered central bank, and we created uh, a, a central bank that, in some ways, is a little bit different. But we have three elements of the Federal Reserve System. We have a board of governors of seven individuals, and you know that Alan Greenspan is the chairman of the board of governors. These again, these folks are elected to uh, 14-year terms, and uh, one uh, a given term will come due every two years, and so a given president in a four-year term could only, I guess, appoint three if he did one right at the first, right in the middle, one at the end. Uh, and the system is set up so a, a given president can't pack the Federal uh, Reserve Board of Governors. But then we also created, back in again 1913 is when the Federal Reserve System was created, a 12 regional Federal Reserve Banks. And if you skip ahead to slide 5, you'll see the geographic regions of the country. The 12 Federal Reserve Districts in Utah, most of I suppose you the students listening to this are in Utah. We're in the San Francisco Federal Reserve uh, Bank District, and there's a branch of the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco in Salt Lake. And so you, you see the other regions. So there are 12 of these Federal Reserve Banks. Now, we don't have 12 central banks. We just have 12 regional Federal Reserve Banks. In unison, they act as a central bank. Uh, the other important entity important element or part of the Federal Reserve System, particularly important as we try to understand the role of the Fed in changing the money supply, is the Federal Open Market Committee. Now, the Federal Open Market Committee has tw 12 members. Seven of them are members of the Board of Governors. And the other five are presidents of the regional Federal Reserve Banks with the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York always sitting on the Open Market Committee. The other four slots rotate among the other 11 presidents of the other 11 Federal Reserve Banks. And, uh, and much of the information is repeated on those, on those next slides. Let's go to slide 7, however, because we see the Federal Open Market Committee, they're the primary group that decides the direction of monetary policy in the United States. And as such, they're a very important uh, uh, group in the international economy because they're going to help influence the United States, the direction of interest rates and economic activity. And given the relative size of the U.S. economy, this is an important group even from an international perspective. And you see the makeup of the Federal Open Market Committee. Well, what are the, that, that's the structure. What does the Fed do? What uh, well we know in the in general they control the money supply, but there are some other smaller parts of what the Fed does. Uh, the Fed holds uh, it supplies currencies, and basically it reacts sort of passively in this way and supplies uh, the currency that the, the the economy needs. It's, it's this is not the way the Fed controls the money supply. The Fed does not print currency; it comes from the Treasury. But the Fed will passively react and supply currency needs of banks through its 12 Federal Reserve Banks. But again, don't get confused. This is not how the Fed controls the money supply by issuing currency. It holds reserves of banks. Now it's going to connect the banks to the Federal Reserve System. 
it's a it's a check clearing mechanism. It makes loans, it supervises, and regulates banks, and is the banker for the U.S. government. Well, uh, that's all fine and dandy, but we want to focus in on how the Fed controls the money supply. And if we go to slide nine, the second part of that is the key: the Fed changes the money supply to achieve policy goals by the Federal Open Market Committee. And, and we'll see later the tools that can be used to change the uh, the money supply. But the Fed has to have a goal in mind. What are the objectives of the Fed? Going to slide ten. What? Hey, here we have this important institution. You know, they meet, they decide. What should we do? Drive the money supply up, down? Try to drive interest rates up, down? But what are their goals? Their ultimate goal? The reason the Fed was created is to help stabilize the economy in terms of we want good sustainable economic growth we don't want booms or busts and we want stable prices that is the ultimate goal of the Fed but the Fed doesn't directly control those variables those two macroeconomic variables of economic growth that is a steady great growth rate in real GDP or does the Fed buy or sell goods and services the Fed influences these variables through uh, it's control of the money supply, and we often, in thinking about the Federal Reserve and its its functions, we we think about uh, so-called intermediate targets. These are variables that the Fed can more directly control, and the idea is that these, by manipulating these intermediate targets, the Fed can influence its ultimate ultimate goals of economic growth, stable economic growth, and stable prices. What are these intermediate targets? The money supply itself, or excuse me, the, yeah, well, the money supply growth rate becomes an intermediate target. The rate of growth of money, see, as an intermediate target, may have some impact on the rate of growth of prices or the rate of growth of real GDP. There's a connection between the rate of growth of money supply and uh, these intermediate targets. And we can see that by going to the equation, what the so-called equation of exchange. We're going to skip ahead uh, a few... Well, where did it go? We're going to skip ahead. We're going to see the equation of exchange. We'll kind of come back. I think it's best to see uh, right up front in, uh, in slide 14 shows us a connection between money and these two ultimate goals of P and Q. So let's focus your attention on slide 14. We have four variables related through the famous or some would say infamous equation of exchange. That is, it's true by definition that if you take M multiplied by, and M stands as we see for the money supply, V stands for the velocity of money. We'll come back to that. P though is the ultimate target of price level and Q is the ultimate target, ultimate goal of real GDP. And if you times P by Q, you have, if you take real output multiplied by the price level, you have nominal GDP. But by definition, this equation is true by definition because if you look in parentheses, we define V as PQ over M. Uh, and so, again, this is a tautology. That is, it's true by definition. Now, what is velocity? Back Before we talk more about that question, back up. Slide 12. Velocity 
is the average number of times per year that a dollar is spent on final goods and services. It's the rate at which the money supply is being used to buy goods and services. That's why we use the term velocity. It's a rate of change. And if the velocity is relatively constant, now it's not necessarily. It depends on what, as you see in slide 30, depends on what we mean by money, whether it's M1 or M2 or M3. But particularly if we look at M2 or M3, it doesn't change a great deal. But let's go back to slide 14 now. If, if M if V is relatively constant, I actually want to go to slide 14, you can take this equation of exchange and you can express it in terms of growth rates. So that second part of the equation of slide 15, that is the percentage change in M plus the percentage change in V equals percentage change in prices. Now that's our ultimate objective is for change in price to be relatively slow, relatively small, or even zero, plus the percentage change in Q. That's real growth rate. That's the percentage change in the real GDP. Our, our, the Federal Reserve's goal, see, is for the percentage change in P, the growth rate of prices, to be close to zero, low inflation, and for the percentage change in Q to be at a, at a good solid rate, but if you go, if you, if, but remember the Fed in the ultimate analysis doesn't have, a, it, it can't control Q. Q's determined by quantity of resources or productivity, but the, uh, so in the long run, Q is outside the influences of the Fed. So the Fed, the Fed, the Fed has to match over time the percentage change in the money supply plus the percentage change in velocity with how fast it thinks output's going to go up. If you can see from this equation, if the Fed increases the money supply at a very rapid rate over time say 5% as the example shows and GDP is growing at 2% and velocity three is 3% you see we're going to have inflation of 6% so that what this equation of exchange shows us is that the, the percentage change in the money supply growth rate or excuse me, the money supply growth rate is related to the rate of change in the price level. Uh, okay, enough of that. Let's get to the guts of the matter and talk about the tools of monetary policy. But I, I suppose there's one more thing first, and that is what we call the operating procedures. So we have this, going to slide 18, we have this group called the Federal Open Market Committee, part of the Federal Reserve System. They meet every six weeks. And they make a decision. We want to try to drive interest rates up or down. In the United States, the Federal Reserve primarily relies upon an intermediate target of what's called the federal funds rate. Now, the federal funds rate is the interest rate that banks charge each other on lending each other excess reserves. So we have to understand this critical variable called the federal funds rate. Tonight, at 6 o'clock, Zions Bank, perhaps, will look at their balance sheet and discover they're short of reserves. Their actual reserves don't even equal the required reserves. So they need to, to meet the law, borrow. They need to borrow some excess reserves. So also tonight, let's assume that Wells Fargo has excess reserves when they close their books. And there's a 
very efficient connection among banks where they can borrow and lend reserves to each other. So Zions Bank would contact another bank, say Wells Fargo, and borrow overnight its reserves. The interest rate that Wells Fargo would charge to Zions Bank would be the federal funds rate. So the federal funds rate is the price of, you can think of it as the price of excess reserves. And this this price will reflect, like all prices, the shortage or the the amount of reserves, excess reserves floating around the banking system. So the Fed, because it controls excess reserves, controls the federal funds rate. The Fed can create excess reserves by purchasing securities from the from uh, in the open market. So here's the connection. The Fed can go out and by purchasing government securities, that is, securities that have been issued by the U.S. Treasury, Treasury bills, bonds, and notes to finance the budget deficit, they're out there. Billions and billions of dollars worth of securities that the Treasury, U.S. Treasury has issued to, to raise funds. They're out. The Treasury originally issues them. They're out there being bought and sold in the open market. Well, the Fed can go out in that open market and purchase securities from dealers, banks, individuals. And when the Fed does, it pays for them with reserves. So let's just think of, the, think of this analogy. Say you call up your bank, or your bank calls you, rather. Say your bank calls you and says, we want to buy your car. And you say, yeah, I'll pay my car for the price. And you dicker with the bank until you agree upon a price. And the bank says, yeah, that's an acceptable price. We'll pay for your car. We'll buy your car. And then you, uh, the bank asks you, can we just pay for that car by putting funds in your checking account? Now, you'd have more money in your account, wouldn't you? That's how you got paid for your car. Well, the exact same thing happens when the Fed buys securities out in the open market. Let's assume they buy securities directly from a bank, but it really wouldn't matter. But the example works a little better if we think of the Fed buying securities from a bank. The Fed will pay for those securities by putting funds in that bank's reserve account. So it creates reserves that that bank can now go to lend out. We know that once banks have excess reserves, they can lend out those excess reserves, and that creates money. But if the Federal Reserve then, think about it, if the Federal Reserve is out there buying securities and creating reserves to purchase them, there's going to be a lot of reserves in the banking system, and that'll... Uh, there'll be a lot of excess reserves, and that'll re be, uh, be reflected in a lower price for excess reserves, i.e. a lower federal funds rate. The bottom line is, and you have to remember, the Fed controls the federal funds rate by buying and selling government securities in the open market. When the Fed buys government securities in the open market, that creates excess reserves, drives the federal funds rate down. When the Fed sells government securities in the open market, that decreases the availability of excess reserves and drives the federal funds rate up. The Fed controls the federal funds rate by the buying and selling of securities in the open market. And that is the primary way in the United States that the Federal Reserve System operates and controls uh, the money supply. Their, their fundamental intermediate target is the federal funds rate. They control the federal funds. The Fed announces when it meets. Well, does it want to drive the federal funds rate up or down? And it, uh, uh, recently, and I'm making, the, I'm producing this lecture here in uh, November of 2005. 
the Fed has been driving the federal funds rate up. How do they drive the federal funds rate up? Well, they're being stingy with reserves. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, going to slide 19. We can think of, uh, even though that's the fundamental way the Fed manipulates the money supply, there are, there are a couple other tools. And so let's list all three of them. That's what's done in slide 19. There are the, these are the three tools of monetary policy, or, or in other words, the three methods the Fed uses to change bank reserves and thereby change the money supply and influence interest rates. Two of them are, are they're significant, they're interesting, we need to know about them, but the third there, which we've already discussed, the open market operations is the most important. But number one, the uh, changing the reserve requirement. Now let's go to slide 20, then we'll come back. But remember, the reserve requirement is that percent of deposits that banks must hold as reserve. If the, re if the reserve requirement is 20% and the Fed suddenly changes it to 10%, that would immediately create excess reserves for the banking system. Let's say that we have a bank that has $100,000 in deposits. The reserve requirement is 20000 so it holds 20000 in reserve, and it, lend out, it has loans of 80000 Again, deposits of 100 Write these down if you want. Deposits of 100 the reserve requirement is 20%, so the bank has 20,000 in reserves to begin with. No excess, just legally required. Has loans of 80,000. 80, but the Fed changes the reserve requirement to 10% immediately. Nothing's changed other than we're taking what was 20,000 of required reserves and reclassifying it as 10,000 is now excess, which the bank can lend out. And we know from Chapter 13 that when the bank lends out excess reserves, that creates money. So we see in slide 20, if the Fed lowers reserve requirements, banks will hold uh, will, will hold excess reserves which they can lend. I don't like that way that's worded. The, the bank will now have excess reserves which they can lend. Such lending triggers expansion, multiplier, increase in the money supply. The Fed can decrease the money supply by raising the reserve requirement. Well, in slide back to slide 19, the second tool of monetary policy, a tool by which the Fed can control the money supply, is the discount rate. Similar, very similar to the federal funds rate. The discount rate, however, is the rate that Fed the Fed charges a bank when a bank wants to borrow excess reserves. Now, remember, if banks borrow excess reserves from each other, banks charge the federal funds rate. And we know that the Fed controls, even though the Fed doesn't lend anybody to anybody at the federal funds rate. The bank controls the federal funds rate by buying and selling government securities. But the federal funds rate is a private interest rate between two banks, borrowing and, sell, borrowing and lending reserves. The discount rate is the rate that the Fed charges when a bank comes to the Fed to borrow reserves. So back to my example earlier, let's say that Zions Bank has uh, a shortage, I think. We, had, we earlier, we assume that Zions Bank had a shortage of reserves, they could go to the Wells Fargo and borrow at the federal funds rate, or they could borrow from the Fed at the discount rate. And these two rates will be similar, but they're, but they're in each case, some, uh, it's, a interest, it's a different interest rate. The Fed charges the discount rate for reserves. Banks charge each other what's called the federal funds rate. Well, by lowering the discount rate, the Fed will encourage banks to borrow from it, 
which will increase the money supply. If the Fed raises the discount rate, that will discourage banks from borrowing from the Fed and decrease the amount of reserves in the money supply. Well, finally, in slide 22, we have open market operations. And I think I better, st we're not going to have a lecture that's too long unless I stop at this point and, uh, and save it for part A, and we'll come back with part B of this lecture and pick up with slide 22. So hang on.